So you're a king, are you? The Roman soldiers jeered. Then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him. Your majesty, they said. And then they whipped him and spat on him. They didn't understand that this was the prince of life, the king of heaven and earth, who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, our our king, it read, and they nailed it to a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped, for they don't understand what they're doing You say that you've come to rescue us, the people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he had just called. If you were really the Son of God, you would just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed the little girl or stilled the storm or fed the 5,000 people, but instead, Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was, it was his love. Father, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky, Father, where are you? Do not leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, Nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He had turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. And even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world, the sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountain shook. Rock split in two until it seemed that the whole world would break, that creation itself would tear apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his own son instead of his people. You see, it was the only way that God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. And then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, It is finished. And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole entire world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky, purple, orange, black, like a bruise. And Jesus' friends, they gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of a rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it all mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they did know that their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the leader said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb. And they hauled a huge stone in front of the door of the tomb so that no one could get in and so that no one could get out. That is the story that my wife Heather read to our oldest daughter Whitley the night before Easter 2011. And it was on this night that I realized just how flawed of a father that I am. 
You see, Easter always comes early in the spring, and something else happens early in the spring, and that is that Major League Baseball season begins. And so on this night, as Heather is sitting on the couch with Whitley reading this story, I'm sitting in my chair watching my beloved Kansas City Royals. And as I'm reading, we're just a, a moment or two into it, whenever, whenever I, I, I hear my wife snap at me and say my name, Andy. And so I pause the game. Thank God for DVR, right? You know, and so I pause the game and I, I look over and I say, yeah, what? And she points at Whitley. And I probably gave her a thumbs up or something. You're doing so good, honey. Keep it going. And then I turned back and resumed the game. A couple of moments later, I, I heard another snap. Andy. And I looked over, and once again, she points at Whitley, and, and I, I, I offered some more encouragement. Yeah, this is so great. You're doing so wonderful, and returned my attention to the game. But then the third time, the snap was a little bit more aggressive, <laughs> and the way that she said my name sent shivers down my spine. Andy, pause, What? And she goes, would you please look at your daughter? And I look, and Whitley is weeping. And so I get up, and I make my way over to the couch, and Whitley, she, she melts into my side. And she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, they killed Jesus. And knowing that the opportunity had passed that evening for any sort of a parental victory on my behalf, I looked over Whitley's head into the eyes of my wife as if to say, please do something. And my wife in that moment preached the most beautiful and powerful sermon that I've ever heard in my entire life. She said, yes, Whitley, they did kill Jesus, but that's not the end. Let's just take a look. How did we even get to this point? We know that Jesus has prayed multiple times for his father to take this cup away from him. Like, like if there's any other way, Father, for your purpose to be accomplished other than what's getting ready to take place, then, then, then let that happen. But, but then at the end of Jesus' prayer, every time he would surrender his will to his father's will, but not my will, but your will be done we know that Jesus has been betrayed by one of his own. We know that he's been arrested and mocked by this mob of, of Roman soldiers. We know that he's been abandoned by his friends. We know that he's been put through as many as six completely unjust trials. We know that Jesus has been flogged, that he's been beaten by the authorities. We know that he's been jeered by the onlookers, that he's been rejected in favor of the inciter of riots, Barabbas. We know that he has had his death demanded. By many of the same group who less than a week earlier lined the streets of Jerusalem and laid palm branches on the ground as Jesus came into town, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, proclaiming Jesus to be the, the long-awaited Messiah. We know that Jesus has felt the full wrath of God placed upon his shoulders, the full penalty for your sin and for mine, as Isaiah prophesied, that he had took on our pain and our suffering he has been pierced for our transgressions. He had been crushed for our, iniqui our iniquities, yet in the midst of it all, 
Jesus prays, Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He prays for the forgiveness of his accusers. He prays for the forgiveness of his executioners. We know that Jesus up to this point has has shown grace and made a kingdom promise to a thief who was hanging next to him on a cross. And we know that that for the very first time and for the very last time that, that Jesus has been forsaken by his father. Who turns away as Jesus wears every one of our sins. We know that Jesus is thirsty. Yes, the living water who will allow you to never thirst again is thirsty. It's a physical thirst for sure, but it goes so much deeper than that. It's a thirst for the love of his father who was turned away. It's a thirst for the love of the people that he was sent to serve, the people that he was sent to save, but instead he remains thirsty. We know that Jesus has cried out, it is finished. His purpose and his mission has been accomplished. Then one final time, Jesus would cry out, into your hands I commit my spirit. And at this point, Jesus is exhausted His lungs labor to breathe until at last he dies. His body is given to a closet Jesus follower and a Pharisee, and they take his body and they quickly embalm it because the sun is beginning to set and Sabbath is beginning, is getting ready to begin. And so they quickly embalm the body and they place it in the borrowed tomb. But church, may you hear this today. But that's not the end. The authorities, they, they thought that it was the end, which makes sense. They celebrated their victory as they sent armed guards to ensure that Jesus' body never left the tomb. Jesus' disciples, they thought that it was the end, which again, it makes sense. Many of them dispersed and, and went into hiding following all that had transpi- transpired in the hours before. As you can imagine, they were terrified, they were shocked, they were confused. How in the world could all of this happen It just didn't make sense. They were so sure that Jesus was the one that they had been waiting for. They had witnessed so, so much. But little did they know that they were about to witness something that would change the course of their lives and change the course of history in just a few short days. But in this moment, they were completely and desperately hopeless. But that was not the end. Even the women, yes, the faithful women, they thought that it was the end, which again, it makes sense. Everyone expected Jesus to do what dead people do, stay dead, right? And so it should really be no surprise that whenever we look at that very first Easter story that it plays out the way that it did. Mark tells us this in Mark chapter 16, that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they, they went and they bought smite, spices that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Everything leading up to this point had happened so fast. Within hours, Jesus had been betrayed, arrested, condemned, beaten, executed, and buried. And because of the Sabbath, as we already mentioned, there there was only time before sundown for there to be a really, really quick embalming of Jesus's body. And so the women, the first moment that they could, the moment that the Sabbath was over, they went and they purchased everything that they would need to be able to properly anoint and or properly embalm the body of Jesus for his final burial. And so very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, when they asked each other this question, I want you to ask yourself, why would they ask this question? 
Here's the question asked. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? As they were on their way to the tomb, this was their top concern. Okay, we might have got ahead of ourselves a little bit here. We went and purchased everything that we need to anoint the body of Jesus, but there's only one problem. How in the world are we going to get to the body of Jesus? And this was their top concern until they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. The reason the women would ask this question is because as they made their way to the tomb that day, they did not suspect resurrection. But very soon their concern became, who moved this stone and what in the world have they done with Jesus's body? And so they did the only thing that they knew to do. They ran to find the disciples and and they found them together, terrified, huddled behind locked doors. The disciples, as you can imagine, they had justifiably assumed that now that Jesus was gone, now that the Jewish leaders had gotten rid of Jesus, that, that maybe they would become the number one suspects on their hit list. And, and so John tells us that, that Mary Magdalene, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which this was John's nickname for himself, real, real humble guy, and, and, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Notice that they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. They don't tell us who they is. Maybe they is the Romans, or I know that's awful grand, but, but maybe they are the Romans. Maybe, maybe they are the guards. Maybe they are the, 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 the Jewish leaders. Maybe they are the, the gardener. But Luke says, but, but they, meaning the disciples, when they heard this, they did not believe the women. Why did they not believe the women? Because their words seemed like nonsense. Don't miss this, please. The very people who had spent the most time with Jesus, the ones who heard Jesus talk again and again about all that he must accomplish, the one who heard Jesus predict his own death on multiple occasions, they completely blew off the initial reports of the resurrection as nonsense, as foolishness. It just didn't make sense. They saw that Jesus was dead. That's all that they knew. Their hope was gone. And now you're telling me that his body has disappeared? That his body is gone and, and, and we don't know what's taken place? I believe this is the reason why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, that the message of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who do not believe. This message that says that, that in, in order to redeem humanity, that God would send his own son to become a payment for our sins, it sounds so foolish, it sounds so wishful thinking, it sounds so, so weak almost. And, and in spite of the 300 plus prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus, and in spite of, in spite of the heart of Jesus' ministry and his message that he preached over and over and over again, in spite of the predictions that Jesus made about his own death, to those who do not believe, the message of the cross just sounds foolish. And perhaps that's where you find yourself today. 
Maybe you're here today because somebody drug you here. Maybe somebody promised you brunch afterwards, right? I mean, maybe you're just here because it's Easter, and what you do on Easter is you go to church, but you know that you, you knew coming into these doors that you were going to hear a message about the resurrection of Jesus. You knew that. And whenever you walked in, you just knew, oh, man, this is going to, I just got to bide my time, and then I'd get some good, you know, biscuits and gravy or something, you know, and, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you, you think that it's a foolish, foolish message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Come on now. It's foolish. If that's you, please don't miss this. As the disciples first hear about the empty tomb, resurrection never crosses their mind. But they didn't stop there. And I would encourage you not to stop there either. Instead, the disciples, a couple of disciples, decide to go and investigate a little bit further. The reason they're investigating is because they want to try and find out what has happened to their friend's body. What has happened to their teacher's body? What has happened to their leader's body? Who is responsible for this? Who has disrespected the corpse of Jesus? So Luke says that Peter, he got up and he ran to the tomb and bending over when he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And, and after seeing this, he went away wondering to himself, what in the world has happened John's gospel tells us that, that John was there too, and, and perhaps more of the group wanted to go, but because of, of everything that had taken place in the days before, they didn't feel like it was safe for that large of a group of Jesus followers to all travel together at the same time. I mean, maybe, maybe it was just the fact that, that, that Peter was living with so much extra guilt because it was just a, a couple of days before that Jesus said, Peter, you're going to, to deny me. And Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, there's no way. Even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And then just a few hours later, he did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. And maybe he was living with, with this guilt. And, 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 and so maybe John saw Peter going to the tomb, and he said, there's no way that Peter is safe to go by himself, so I'm going to be a good friend, and I'm going to follow. I don't know why these men decided to do what they did, but whatever the case may be, we notice a familiar theme arising again. They walked away wondering what in the world has happened. It just didn't make sense. It was over. And can I tell you something this morning? I love the fact that the New Testament authors document the logical skepticism of those who were closest to Jesus after the initial reports of the resurrection. I love the fact that the, those who were closest to Jesus who were skeptical, they document their own skepticism about how they responded after the initial reports of the resurrection, how they documented their own hopelessness after the initial reports of the resurrection. They were confused. They had so many questions, but that was not the end. Because on that very first Easter night, while many of the disciples were hiding together, again, behind locked door due, due to fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. In verse 37, they were startled and frightened, which might be the understatement of all scripture. Thinking they saw a ghost, he said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts rise? In your mind, why? Why are you so troubled? 
Why are you so afraid? It goes back to the most common command that's found all throughout Scripture, the command of do not be afraid. But the, the, the disciples, honestly, they had a pretty good answer for why they were afraid, right? Why are you so troubled? Why are you so afraid? Jesus, can I answer? Can I? Because you were dead. But now you're like standing in front of us. And I'm sorry, Jesus, but I just don't know what to do with that. But now the disciples find themselves standing in the presence of the resurrected Christ. And church, we know this, I hope we know this, that whenever you are standing in the presence of the resurrected Christ, all of a sudden the question, why are you so troubled? Why are you so afraid? It is seen in a brand new light. Christian, today, you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living within you. So let me ask you, why are you so troubled? Why are you so afraid? Then Jesus, he, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so troubled? I told you all of this was going to happen. I told you that all of this, it had to happen. In fact, from the very beginning of the world, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Everything from the Garden of Eden up to this point has been pointing to this very moment in history. And everything from this moment in history until I come again, Jesus would say, will be pointing back to this very moment in history. Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Then verse 48, I love this so much. He says, and, and you are witnesses of these These words were spoken to a group of people who were scared and hiding. They had denied and abandoned, but now they were witnesses to an event that changed the entire course of their lives. It changed the entire course of history. And I believe that today it can change the entire course of your life too. They had given up, but it was not the end church i hope so badly that we that we know that we can have confidence in life in the future in the resurrection not solely because the bible says he is risen but also because of those witnesses that jesus was talking about also because of the testimony of those eyewitnesses to the actual event. Though so often whenever people begin to contemplate, do I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus? So often whenever people begin their faith beginning to fade and they begin to question, do I want to stay in a relationship with Jesus? They begin to ask all kinds of questions about all kinds of subjects. But can I tell you that there's really only one question that, they, they, that you need to ask yourself? Do I believe... That Matthew is a credible eyewitness. Do I believe that, that, that Mark was, was truly a, a credible eyewitness? That, that, that he truly took the words of Peter, this man that he followed, and, and gave us the, this biography, this account of Jesus' life through the eyes 
of Peter, do I truly believe that Luke, whenever Luke says that I have thoroughly investigated all that I am sharing with you, do I truly believe Luke, whenever he says that, that this highly educated man did what he said that he did? Do I truly believe John, this one who was not just a follower of Jesus, but he was a part of the inner three with Jesus, this, this one who, who got to see it all, who got to hear it all, who got to experience it all? Do I really believe him whenever he says what he says, whenever, whenever it comes to Peter? I mean, Peter, yes, he, we get his gospel through Mark, but we also have these letters that Peter wrote to the church afterwards. Do, do I really believe what Peter had to say? Do, do I really believe this man who, who believed and then like, like, like denied to believe or unbelieved and, and then like he, he, he re-believed? Do I really believe this man who, who all of a sudden, you know, whenever, whenever people are asking him, are you a follower of Jesus? He denies that, he, that he's a follower of Jesus. He denies that he even knows Jesus. But then within just a couple of months, all of a sudden he's standing up and he refuses to stop preaching the resurrection of Jesus, even whenever his life is on the line. Do I believe the, the testimony of Peter? Do I believe the testimony of James, the half-brother of Jesus? Jesus, who was not a follower of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He just thought that his brother was a wacko. And then all of a sudden, he, he begins to follow Jesus following the resurrection. And you want to know why? Because he saw his brother die. And then he saw his brother alive again. And so much so, he is so convinced that his brother is the Messiah, the one that everybody's been waiting for, that he becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem, the hot spot of Christian persecution, the scene of the crime. Do I believe this testimony? Do I believe the testimony of someone like Paul, who not decades later, but within just a couple of years, began to, to preach the, the historical facts of the resurrection? Do you believe those testimonies? Because if the answer is yes, if the answer is yes, or even if the answer is I don't know, or you just can't fully say no, then that means that everything has changed, that you have hope when you don't think you have hope. It means that you can have confidence, true, rooted confidence that the word of God is true, that there is hope whenever it doesn't seem like hope exists. Most scholars believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, we get this creed from the Apostle Paul, this beautiful, beautiful creed. And most scholars believe that, that this creed originated like, like within just a couple of years of the resurrection itself. This short, concise little saying that was memorable, so that way it made the distribution of information really, really easy. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning, we'll begin reading in, in, in verse 3. And I want you to notice the tense here that, that, that Paul is speaking in as we begin. He says, for, for what I received, meaning past tense, I've already received this. I, I, I passed on to you. So I've already, this isn't the first time you're hearing about this. I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the exact same time. Most of whom, so don't take my word for it, but most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to, to James, his half-brother, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is such a beautiful, state, a, a beautiful creed, such a bold statement, a statement that did not have decades to become overblown, but a statement that was created within no mores of a couple of years 
of the event itself. It's a statement that challenges you, that challenges his audience. Don't take my word for it. If, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. But there are still hundreds of people that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection who are still around. Go talk to them. If you don't want to take my word for it, then why don't you go take their word for it? But here's the creed that the Apostle Paul was preaching. Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and he rose from the dead and was seen. Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and he rose from the dead and was seen. Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and he rose from the dead and was seen. And it's because of this event that we can know Like, we don't have to sit there and cross our fingers and squint our eyes real hard and just wish upon a star. But it's because of this event that we can know that God is personal. We can know that the suffering and pain and and even perceived silence is not evidence of God's absence. All because whenever we look at this story, we see that the worst thing imaginable happened to the best person to ever live. We can know that we can have confidence in the claims of Jesus, his claims about heaven, about hell, about hope, about power, about love. Because of this event, we can know that forgiveness is available. Because of this event, you can know that you are loved by God. Because of this event, you can know that when things look their worst, that God is often up to his best. Because of this event, you can know that you will never have to face a single moment in your life where you are without hope. And so today, maybe maybe you're here, and and again, it, it was a struggle to get you here. You knew what you were going to hear. And honestly, you just didn't want to hear. Maybe today you, you find yourself in and your marriage is hanging on by a thread, but I want you to hear me today. But that's not the end. Maybe your kids have fallen away. Like all that you want is for your family to be together on this Easter Sunday, but you invited your children and they're like, nah, I ain't doing that. I want you to know that this is not the end. Maybe you're not where you want to be, you know, spiritually, emotionally. But that's not the end. Maybe you've received some bad news from a doctor, but that's not the end. Maybe you're stuck in some cycle of destructive sin that you just can't get out of, but that's not the end. Maybe you're questioning if anyone cares or or why you continue to show up. Maybe you're here today and you can feel that your faith is fading, but I'm here to tell you that is not the end. Maybe you believe that you've messed up too many times, that you've finally gone too far, that God doesn't hear you and that Jesus can't love you, but I want you to hear me today, please, that that is not the end because of this event you can know that whatever you are facing that Jesus has already conquered yes things were bleak yes Jesus was dead but that was not the end because at that moment that the disciples thought that all hope was lost 
Little did they know that they were about to experience a greater hope than the world had ever known. Because what they did not expect, they became eyewitnesses to. And it changed the course of their entire lives. And it changed the course of all of history. And today, it can change the course of your life too. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I thank you that whenever there was no way, that you made a way. Father, I, I'm just so humbled by your grace, by the gifts that you've given. And so today I pray for every single person in this room and I pray that the confidence that they have in you will only grow. And Father, that they will never feel like that it is just a, a misplaced confidence, but that they will know that this confidence has a, the firm foundation to stand upon, that you were alive, then you were dead, and then you were alive again. And what we cannot make sense of, it's been documented throughout history was true. And so may that give us the firmest of foundations to stand upon. May that give us the strongest of hopes to face each and every day. May it give us the confidence to know that you love us so much more than we could even begin to comprehend. Jesus, we love you, and we honor you, and we praise you, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.